Welcome back along to this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. Today, I'm actually going to be presenting part three of a series dealing with abortion uh, done by my friend Aaron Brake. Uh, If you enjoy this content or any other content from the Freed Thinker podcast, please feel free to head on over to the blog and become a a sponsor. You can find us on Patreon, become a sponsor there. Uh, Also, I have uh, started a YouTube endeavor dealing with apologetics. So if you head over and find the Freed Thinker on YouTube, you'll find a lot more content dealing with atheism and naturalism and uh, things of that sort. I'm going to be dedicating a lot of the apologetics there, and I'm going to be doing some more of the uh, more biblical theological issues, kind of some of the in-house issues here on the podcast as much as I can. I will rebroadcast the content from the YouTube here. I'll rip the audio and bring it over. Uh, It won't always happen, but I'm going to try to remember to do that as much as possible. But uh, please subscribe and share away not only the podcast uh, for those in Christian circles, but if you're dealing with atheists and naturalists and unbelievers, um, if you're dealing with people who are claiming, you know, claims aren't evidence or extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and all that kind of fun uh, atheist uh, online atheist tropes, uh, head on over to the YouTube channel. I'm going to start addressing a bunch of those and dealing with miracles and dealing with different evidentiary claims and things like that. So uh, you can find that on YouTube by looking for The Freed Thinker. Well, with that, let's dive in and have the final section from Aaron Brake dealing with abortion. Enjoy the show. We are back finally with part three of our series on abortion. This is Aaron Brake. I want to say thank you once again to Tyler Vela for having me do this series on the Freed Thinker podcast. If you scroll down in the Freed Thinker feed down at episode 59, you will find part one, the case for life. Episode 68, we look at six bad ways to argue for abortion. And today will be part three handling objections with grace and truth. Now, if you didn't listen to those uh, first two episodes, then I recommend you scroll down, listen to those first, and then come back here to part three. So let's jump right in. For our last session, I want to turn to some 
practical conversation tips that you can use when discussing the issue of abortion, whether you are speaking face-to-face with friends and family, participating in a pro-life outreach, or engaging others over social media. Abortion can be a very emotional, passionate topic for many people. In In dialoguing with others about this issue, we want to be sure and emphasize both grace and truth. So here's tip number one. Ask good questions. It is extremely important in conversations to know how to ask good questions. This is a skill that you can learn and develop with practice over time. Whenever you are able to do to in a conversation, try to ask questions to help guide the conversation or emphasize a point rather than making a statement or assertion. Often you can accomplish the same goal by asking a well thought out question and questions are often received better than blanket assertions. The reason for this is because a well thought out question can cause people to stop and think, allowing them to form the same conclusion in their mind rather than simply being told what to believe. And a person who comes to a conclusion on their own with a little guidance from a well-placed question is more likely to hold on to it and acknowledge its merit instead of being tempted to reject it outright. For example, compare the difference between making a blanket assertion such as abortion is wrong and women shouldn't have the right to choose it with questions such as If abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being, what would justify that choice? Can we kill human beings based on privacy, poverty, or because they are unwanted? If not, shouldn't we protect the unborn just as we do other human beings? Greg Kolkel has an excellent book entitled Tactics. In fact, just recently, the second edition came out. And in this book, he gives practical advice and strategies to employ in conversations with those who may disagree with you. Now, Scott Klusendorf has a chapter in his book, The Case for Life, where he takes many of the principles and questions from Kokel and applies them to the abortion debate. So let's look at three important questions you can use in dialogue over the issue of abortion. Question number one, what do you mean by that? This is a clarification question that helps you understand what your critic thinks so you don't misrepresent his view. At the same time, it forces him to think more clearly about his own statements. Now, the purpose is to gather information so you can accurately understand his view. This question alone often disarms the challenge. So, for example, suppose you're having a conversation and someone says, I believe in a woman's right to choose. You might say this, what do you mean by right to choose? What is being chosen? If elective abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being, why should anyone have a right to choose that? The pro-choicer might say, embryos are just a mass of cells. Question, what do you mean by mass of cells? Can't every human being be described as a mass of cells? What about this one? Abortion is a fundamental right. What do you mean by fundamental right? What type of right is abortion? Is it a legal right or a natural right? If it is only a legal right granted by the government, would you object if the government took it away? If so, why? If it is a natural right, how is it that females in the womb can have a natural right to abortion, but not a natural right to life?
After all, isn't the right to life the most fundamental right which all others are based on? Okay, here's a second question. How did you come to that conclusion? Now, this question is a bit more challenging. A good general rule to remember in conversations is that whoever makes the claim bears the burden of proof. Now, this question helps place the burden of proof where it belongs, on the critic who needs to give reasons for his claims. Maybe you've heard this claim before. Thousands of women died every year in the U.S. from illegal abortions. How do you respond? Question. Really? How did you come to that conclusion? Do you have any statistics to support that? Are you aware that even pro-abortion choice advocates have said this is false? What about this statement? No one can say which beliefs are right or wrong. How did you come to believe that? And is that belief right? If you are saying it is right that no one can say which beliefs are right or wrong, isn't your statement self-refuting? No one knows when life begins. How did you come to that conclusion? Are you aware of what embryologists have said concerning this issue? Are you willing to look at some quotes from embryologists that support the idea that a new, distinct, living, and whole human being comes to be at conception? Even if we didn't know when life begins, shouldn't we err on the side of life since we might be killing an innocent human being? So question one, what do you mean by that? Question two, how did you come to that conclusion? Here's a third question. Have you ever considered that? Now this question is the most challenging and it is important to remember to remain gracious. This question is used to point out a flaw in reasoning or help show that the critic must pay too high a price to hold his view. Have you ever heard someone say this before? Fetuses have no right to life because they are not self-aware. How would you respond to that? You might say this. Have you ever considered that if self-awareness is what gives us value or right to life, then newborns are disqualified and may be killed as well? Well, laws can't stop all abortions. Have you ever considered that laws can't stop all murder or rape either? Does this mean we should do away with those laws as well? How do you know that most women won't obey the law? Well, you're hypocritical because you don't want to adopt all of the unwanted babies. Have you ever considered that an unwillingness to adopt a child doesn't give an abortionist the right to kill one? How do you know pro-lifers are not adopting them? Have you ever considered how bizarre it would sound if I said, unless you agree to adopt my toddler by noon tomorrow, I have the right to kill him. Did you know that there are over 1 million families waiting to adopt in this country? Well, abortion is a woman's issue. Have you ever considered that gender is irrelevant to truth? Have you ever considered that a female pro-life advocate could make the exact same arguments I am presenting? If men can't speak on the issue of abortion, should Roe v. Wade be overturned since that decision was made by nine male Supreme Court justices? Okay, so tip number one, ask good questions. We looked at three questions real quickly. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? And have you ever considered that? Now here's tip number two. Listen and find common ground. Even though the issue of abortion can be incredibly divisive and contentious, 
you may be surprised how much common ground can be found between pro-life and pro-choice advocates. As much as possible, don't assume what someone believes. Instead, just ask them and listen to their response. Don't be in a rush to prove your point. Take the time to understand their view and find common ground you can build on. So here's some questions. What do you think about late-term abortions? Should abortion be legal through all nine months for any reason? Now, in my conversations with people, I have found that many who self-identify as pro-choice still believe there should be limits when it comes to abortion. They believe there should be limits both in when a woman should be allowed to get an abortion and for what reasons. For example, many pro-choice advocates do not support abortions in the third trimester or for simply any reason whatsoever. That is common ground. Once you understand their view, you can ask why they believe that. What about this question? Should men be prosecuted for killing a fetus? Now, a majority of states already have laws against the intentional killing of a human fetus, except in cases of abortion. In California, for example, uh, you may remember the case of Scott Peterson, who killed his wife, an unborn child, and was convicted on two counts of murder. Yet, if Lacey Peterson had wanted an abortion, many people wouldn't have thought twice about it. But what is the difference in those two situations? It isn't the unborn. It's the very same unborn human being in both cases. The only difference is whether or not the unborn is wanted. In one case, Scott Peterson killed a wanted child. In the other, Lacey is killing the very same child who is now unwanted. But why is being wanted morally relevant? Is being wanted what determines our value or our right to life? The homeless are largely unwanted. Can we kill them? Well, no, that's different. Well, why is it different? Well, because the homeless are human beings. So, if the unborn are human beings, why are we justified in killing them simply because they are unwanted? We're back to the one question that matters. What is the unborn? Here's another question. What do you think about aborting a fetus simply because she is female? Now, this practice has been common in other countries, such as China and India. Many people are repulsed by the idea of killing the unborn simply based on gender. So this is an area where pro-life and pro-choice advocates may find common ground. It's also a question that can be used to challenge certain pro-choice arguments and expose inconsistencies. For example, if women have an absolute right to bodily autonomy, how can we object if they choose to abort based on gender? My body, my choice seems to have some very immoral consequences when we take it to its logical conclusion. Here's another question you can ask. Would you prefer fewer abortions? Now, often pro-abortion choice advocates will say that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. The first question to ask is, safe for whom? It certainly isn't safe for the unborn. It's lethal. And if the unborn are human beings, we shouldn't make it safe or legal for one group of human beings to kill another group of innocent human beings. Also, why should elective abortion be rare? If abortion is essentially no different than having your tonsils or appendix removed, what's the big deal? Simply have the abortion. No one is championing that a tonsillectomy should be safe, legal, and rare. On the other hand, 
if elective abortion kills an innocent human being, again, why should it be rare? Are we allowed to kill human beings so long as we do it infrequently? Teach and equip. So where do we go from here? There are things each of us can do and each of us needs to be involved. Of course, we can pray, read, study, and engage others in conversation to change hearts and minds regarding the issue of abortion. And after listening to these last three episodes, I hope you feel more confident and equipped to do that. Uh, we can volunteer time at crisis pregnancy centers and help financially support pro-life organizations uh, such as Life Training Institute and others. In addition, here are three important long-term goals that pro-life advocates can focus on. Number one, recruit more full-time pro-life apologists. Uh, Greg Cunningham at the Center for Bioethical Reform says this, there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. That's because killing babies is very profitable while saving them is very costly. So costly that large numbers of Americans who say they oppose abortion are not lifting a finger to stop it. And that those that do lift a finger to stop it do just enough to solve the conscience, but not enough to stop the killing. Number one, we need more full-time pro-life apologists. Number two, we need to systematically train our youth. We need to teach them what they believe and why they believe it. We need to equip them uh, to make a pro-life defense and to be, to be able to answer pro-choice objections. And finally, we need to use uh, visuals appropriately. Now, some of you have seen uh, videos of abortion, and those are show, shown with the intention of not to condemn anyone or to manipulate anyone emotionally, but because of the value it gives in restoring the meaning of the word abortion. Uh, graphic images should always be introduced with gentleness and respect, uh, warning people and never springing them on unsuspecting audiences. Educators acknowledge the value of graphic visuals when they're used properly. Producers of the movies Schindler's List donated a copy of the film to every high school in America in spite of its graphic content. Movie theaters also provided free screenings to over 2 million students in 40 states because educators were convinced that unless students saw the disturbing images, they would not understand or fully grasp the depravity and horrors of the Holocaust. Well, by the same token, it is intellectually dishonest to not show abortion for what it really is. If we can't stand to look at abortion for what it is, perhaps we shouldn't be tolerating it. Truth is the issue, and this is something even some pro-abortion choice advocates acknowledge. This is what uh, pro-choice feminist Naomi Wolf has to say. The pro-choice movement often treats with contempt the pro-lifers practice of holding up to our faces their disturbing graphics. But how can we charge that it is vile and repulsive for pro-lifers to brandish vile and repulsive images if the images are real? To insist that truth is in poor taste is the very height of hypocrisy. Besides, if these images are often the facts of the matter, and if we then claim that it is offensive for pro-choice women to be confronted with them, then we are making the judgment that women are too inherently weak to face a truth about which they have to make a grave decision. This view is unworthy of feminism. Scott Klusendorf states in his book, The Case for Life, 
Pictures change the way people feel about abortion, while facts change the way they think. Both are vital in changing behavior. That is going to wrap up part three of our series on abortion. Thank you for listening.